want to say thank you for listening. So our sponsors have given some great deals in this episode. Check these out. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And RescueSwimmershop.com, official high-quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razok, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they helped. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. The Coast Guard has an array of responsibilities, and needless to say, the U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer is implemented in quite a few of those. Outside of search and rescue, where we're going into the Bering Sea, going into the Gulf of Mexico, out in the Atlantic, into the Pacific just to save people, we have other jobs. And one of those, uh, our next guest actually brings to the table and tells us a little story about it. It's called the Polar Operations Division, or Polar Ops. And that's where the polar icebreakers go to the North Pole and the South Pole to break way for some of the supply vessels to get in. Well, my friend that's coming on, our next guest, he brings a couple stories from that for us. So please welcome my friend, United States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer number 363, Mr. Jimmy Farmer. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I've got with me, yes, another Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer. 
His name is Jimmy Farmer, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer, number 363. What's up, Jimmy? How are you, bud? Good, Jason. How are you, brother? Dude, I am awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing some of your killer stories. So this is going to be hey, fun. Thanks for having me. What a privilege. An honor. Yeah. And on, see, hey, listen, the honor is mine. You, you guys were before my time. Like you set the stage <laughs> and, and I just like, there was a standard and, and then we had to meet it and then some, so. <laughs> yeah, pick up, pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah, right. It's awesome. It's awesome. like, you know, the sewing projects that you get from time to time, you're like, oh, I, I've got a bag, but I just need to make it a little better. So you end up putting all these little additional loops and all this stuff on. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's how I feel like we, we just, we had this perfect thing. And we used to add a little here, a little there to make it just a little bit better. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, but for everybody else out there, if you don't mind, would you please introduce yourself a little bit of background about you and how you got into the Coast Guard? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, just before though, I just, uh, I want to tell you again, man, how much uh, I appreciate what you're doing and uh, bringing everything out to these guys, uh, not only the swimmers, but the professionals out in the field um, that do a, just an awesome job every day. I can't, can't express to you uh, how cool that is. And, well, thanks, man. Uh, appreciative of I am of you. And I know uh, you had mentioned I want to give uh, credit where credit is due, man. Kudos to your wife for uh, for sparking that idea. So, uh, <laughs> she, you know how Zulu, happy she's Bravo doing Zulu, right young lady. Yeah, <laughs> good for her. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, that's some love right there. You know what? I have to all actually right. hashtag. Everyone will see this from now on. The hashtag, the first hashtag I have it on my Instagram is hashtag I love my wife. That's from her too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, uh, you know, Jimmy Farmer, uh, rescue swimmer 363, um, joined the Coast Guard in 90, right out of high school. Um, almost kind of by default. Uh, my brother is, we're very close in, in age and he was a senior, or I was a senior in high school. He was already uh, first year in college and uh, I wanted to go to college, but I wasn't sure really if I was ready or uh, what I wanted to do at that time. So uh, I looked at the service, maybe GI Bill. Parents were already paying for, for Arthur. And uh, I said, well, I'll join, I'll join the military. Let them pay for it. Do a few years. Um, wanted to join the Marines. Uh, so I'm a big Clean Eastwood fan. So Heartbreak nice. Ridge. I was like, yeah, recon, you know, <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, well, you know, those guys shoot back too. So maybe that's <laughs> not going to be good for me. <laughs> uh, if I don't get them first. Right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom, yeah, my mom, uh, actually set a, uh, appointment up for the Navy and, uh, went down and talked to him. And I, I knew I wasn't going to join the Navy. Not that it's a bad outfit, but I just, I didn't want to be out at sea. And uh, so weighed my options and just approached my dad and said, Hey, uh, I think I might want to do the Coast Guard thing. You know, that you're in the Coast Guard. Why not? I'll give it a shot. Um, so he's like, Oh, okay. I'll take you down there. We'll, we'll go talk to the recruiter. Nice. And, uh, Thanks so, dad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We went down there and he just talked about the recruiter just talked about boats most of the time and, you know, BM and all that good stuff. And my dad was just kind of looking at him like, what is your deal? You know, cause he's in his trops, got his wings on. Metals, so I, you know, right, so because, <laughs> because you said that, because you said that you have to give a little background. So who is your dad? Now I know who your dad is, but who is your dad? Yeah, so uh, my dad's uh, Master Chief Larry Farmer um, had a stellar career uh, in the Coast Guard, started the program back in 84. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were in Oklahoma City. He was at the Institute, and uh, he got the proverbial tap on the shoulder to start this program. Uh, they wanted rescue swimmers in the Coast Guard, all stemmed from uh, a, a Marine uh, incident they had, the Marine Electric Right. And uh, Coast Guard wasn't able to to get everybody. But uh, the Navy had a swimmer that they deployed. And Congress said, well, why don't you guys do that? And so, you know, there you go. History was was made. Right. It was amazing. Yeah. So your dad. Unbelievable. Is 
the basically who the the man who made the Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer the whole program into what it is today. He he right. was yeah. the beginning. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And me sitting there as an 18-year-old really had no clue of, of <laughs> what was going on, you know? Yeah. I just needed some college money. <laughs> <laughs> so long story short, uh, I got sworn in. My dad uh, swore me in, which was pretty cool. Went off oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, went to boot camp. Still wasn't sure what I wanted to do in the Coast Guard, but uh, um Really wanted to get back to Elizabeth City. I wanted to get back to North Carolina. So I uh, made some good friends in boot camp. And so uh, Coin Jock was on the list. So um, I think I was number 17 in boot camp. Made good friends with this guy, Brian Bird. And uh, he was right behind me when we were picking. And so he comes and he sits next to me. I had Coin Jock on my mind. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to get back to North Carolina, you know, go see all my friends. And uh, <laughs> so Brian comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, you're picking before me. There's two billets for Coast Guard Cutter Escape. I said, Coast Guard Cutter Escape? I don't want to go with this ship. And he's like, no, I mean, it's cool. I'm from Goose Creek. It's out of Charleston. You know, we'll be together and we'll know somebody. We'll know each other and yada, yada. And I said, uh, oh, OK, <laughs> South Carolina is close to North Carolina. I did yeah, hoodwinked. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, <laughs> off. And I love I love Brian to death, man. But um, so we go to the Coast Guard Cutter Escape. He picks me up from the airport. We check in. He drops me off. And it was pretty much like, all right, man, see you later. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, he was off to Goose Creek. I was stuck on, on a big white one and uh, for two weeks. Just wondering what the what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> Where did I go wrong? What the heck happened? This is not how yeah. I planned it. <laughs> no, wasn't in the cards, but um, but it was a great. I made some great friends. Still uh, got some great friends from that, and uh, yeah. So in Charleston, uh, did two years on the escape. I had put my name on the rescue swim or the AS, ASM school AS school list, and uh, um, man. Trying to get to an A school uh, from a from a boat back then, you know, they want you to go BM or DC or something like that, man. And finally, wound up getting to the uh, got transferred off. Uh, did my two years on the ship, and then got to the MSO. And uh, a great friend of mine, Wine One Shabazz, asked me what I wanted to do because I was still a non-rate, and explained to him what what went on. I'd put my name on the ASMA school list about a year and a half ago. And he was like, well, what happened? I said, I they just never, they never put me on the list. Well, he was good friends at the time with uh, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, who just happened to be in town eight months after I got to the MSO. And uh, he pulled me aside, talked to him and said, this young man has a story uh, that I want you to listen to. And I explained to him the hurdles I had had. And, uh, of course, I didn't think much of it, you know, a couple of months go by and I get a phone call, you know, when you want to go to a school, take your pick. And so uh, I went off September, about a year after I got to the MSO, went off to a school. So you've been in the guard for about three years then. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which was about the weight. Um, yeah. So lucky for me, when I tried to, uh, get my name on the list two years ago, they basically factored that in and said, okay, this individual, this is where he should be, uh, you know, give him an opportunity. So. Wow. Yeah. Man. Uh, thank you. Payoff Coast Guard. That's awesome. Yeah. Or sorry. Master Chief Payoff Coast Guard. Wow. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I had almost got, I almost went uh, HS. So, you know, I had uh, going back to my boat days, I had pretty much just kind of thrown a school out the window and uh, looked, well, you know, medical field, what can I do? And I uh, thought about going HS, but, you know, HS is getting underway as well. And I was just, I had had enough um, underway time. It was great, but I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do for the next, you know, four years until I got out to go to college. Right. Yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, I called my, my dad and I said, Hey man, I said, uh, here's the deal. Um, maybe I'll just go ASM, you know, and funny, he goes, well, son, I just, I don't know if that would be right for you. <clears throat> I said, well, why is that? Yeah. He goes, well, it's your attitude. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have the right attitude. So I don't know if he, if this was reverse psychology working, but, uh, and I have to tell you, he, he was right. Uh, I was, I was a punk kid. I was a, I was a handful. So <laughs> uh, dad just called the kettle black. Yeah. 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 So, um, Anyway, that was a brief conversation over a, a payphone on the end of a pier. And uh, so I, I was having second thoughts. And then, uh, but yeah, once I got the phone call to go to A school, I said, I'm in, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what I'll do for a few years anyway. Nice. And 26 years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah, that's so. awesome. Good for you. You know, it's, you know what, good for your dad. I'm going to give him props too. A little reverse psychology. Man, yeah. yeah. Can, no, it might not be for you, son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's attitude, awesome. son. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well done. So now uh, you get through school, you get qualified, you're standing duty. Everybody remembers their first case. What was yours? Yeah. So actually at ATC, uh, we always uh, get searches, you know, whether it's from New Orleans or Corpus Christi, somewhere, you know, if, if they're done looking, they send us out. But um, Which that's ATC yeah. Mobile, which Mobile is the, basically a big training unit for the Coast Guard for pilots and uh, really pilots. They come down there with just a ton of air crew and a stand teams out of ATC Mobile. And so, yeah. anyway. So <clears throat> me and uh, three other buddies got stationed there right out of A school. But um, anyway... So yeah, we, the first case, uh, like real case, I remember, um, we were on a 65, it was a fishing vessel, uh, underway. It was, I don't remember how far off a shore it was. It was probably a good 30 miles, uh, from what I remember. And they were heading in. It was, a a father, a son and his son-in-law, and they were out fishing. Um, and the father had a heart attack. And so he's heading in as fast as he can. They're doing CPR. And by the time, I think our response time to get out there was something like 30 minutes. It was going to take us 30, 35 minutes to get out there. They had already been doing CPR for 15. So wow. I'm factoring it's going to be almost an hour before I get to this guy. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you know. Um, so we get out there. He's underway. I mean, he's hauling, but we, uh, you know, we slow him down. I get hoisted down. I can see him doing CPR. Um, one of the young guys just, he's going to town, man, you know, and this is, you know, 35, 40 minutes later. I get down there and I, I just kind of know right away. I'm like, there's really nothing I'm going to do for this, this guy. It was horrible, um, you know, because one is his son and it's his son-in-law. Wow. You know, doing this and I'm just, yeah, it was bad. So um, I just immediately, I'm like, you know, we're going to hoist this guy. I told the, his, I think, I believe it was his son that was doing CPR. I said, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Called up on the radio, told him just to send the litter down. And uh, so we can get this guy out of here as fast as we can. That's what we did. Uh, got him up in the helo, uh, which I was lucky a uh, female flight mech that was on there was an EMT as well. So, nice. You know, oh, yeah. major bonus. Uh, yeah, it's definitely bonus. So um, talked with her. We went ahead and, and uh, just resumed CPR. Um, she did the, she maintained the airway, did the breathing for me. And uh, I did chest compressions for about 30 minutes. By the time we got where we were going, we were meeting an ambulance ALS on the pier and the family was there. They were going to meet us there as well as the ALS. And so his daughter was there. Like the whole family was there. Holy smoke. So I'm just like, Oh gosh, man, you know? So, um, yeah, we landed towards the end of the pier. Um, and I, the family, you know, I, I covered him up as best I could to make it just, 
easy for them. I didn't want them to see their dad, you know, just in the condition that he was in, just kind of had a blanket on him, you know, and passed him off to ALS. They put him in the ambulance as quick as they could. But uh, that was, that was the first real case that I had. Um, and it was, it was an eye opener. And I tell you, man, those, when you, you don't know how much you work until you start doing compressions on on an individual, your adrenaline, right. you know, you, yeah. you're, you're wanting to make a difference, man. Even though I knew that in, in my mind, the time I was just like, you just never know, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Wow. 30 minutes of CPR of chest compressions. Uh, yeah. I, I have to, I'm going to give everybody out there a perspective that doesn't do this from a day-to-day basis or wherever. Uh, but most times if you're in the hospital scene and you're doing chest compressions, you have a line of like four people and you're rotating about every five minutes. So for you to sit there and do it for 30 minutes back to land, it, there's no doubt in my mind, you are yeah. dripping sweat. So just soaked. yeah, exhausted. Yeah holy cow yeah you're just you're drained you know you get back um not only that adrenaline dump but you've just physically put yourself through so much trying to trying to you know do something for for this guy for this individual well and then you add into all the emotions that there's a son the son-in-law or yeah yeah, the son-in-law and then the daughter and the wife when you land holy smoke you have to go through all those wave of emotions yeah. So I, and I think a lot of, a lot of us do that. Um, you know, when you're going out, you're like, you know, that's somebody's, somebody's son, daughter, husband, wife, child, you yeah. know, and, and we all have those things. Yeah. And so when you go out, man, that's what, you know, that's what I think about. I'm not, I can't speak for everybody, but those are the things I think about, you know, do I want to be the person that they want out there? looking for their family member, you know? And so I always try to, you know, I always try to, to better myself, uh, uh, to, to do a better job, to listen to the guys that, you know, that were my mentors and like, Hey, do this, do that. You know, you should be doing this, um, just to make myself a better, better swimmer, you know, cause I, I, I want, I want to find that individual. I want to save that individual. I want to, I want them to go back home, you know, Good for so, you. That's all. That's, that's, that's awesome. You, you know, you guys set that bar really high. So, I mean, I try to do the same thing and, and better myself and train, practice, educate. Absolutely. So it's, it, it just ends. goes to show like ends. started with your dad to that <laughs> reverse psychology to you trying to better yourself. Yeah. And, and it, it has gone across the rate. So fantastic. I love it. So um, now you were also in New Orleans, which uh, we're going to talk about yes. a, a kind of a couple of cases there. Uh, where else were you while you were in the guard? So I started off, as I said, in Charleston, uh, Coast Guard Coder Escape, went to the MSO briefly, ATC Mobile. Um, from there, I went to New Orleans, back to Mobile, Pop Div, um, Shop, Stand Team, uh, Hitron and uh, finished up my career at uh, a school and loved it. Loved every minute of it. Yeah. Made chief did two years in East city and uh, you know, retired. So what started and ended my career in East city at the schoolhouse. So can't ask for anything better than that, man. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Oh, what a way to go, man. That sounds, it's a great career. Um, yeah. I want to actually, I might even, I'd like to touch on pop Dave a little bit. So that's polar division and polar ops where you right. guys yep. get deployed on the back of a lot of the icebreakers and end up going around the world. So I, I do have yeah. some questions about that. Cause that's not something I ever did. And, you know, like it's kind of a cool assignment, uh, but yeah. new Orleans. So I'm going to touch on two things in new Orleans, or I'm going to touch on one thing in new Orleans right off the okay. top. And that is, you earned an air medal for air, uh, Hurricane Katrina, and it's a pretty good story. So I'm going to read the award that you got, and I would love to hear just your perspective of, of that whole that whole chaos that, that came through New Orleans. Okay. Sure. So 
Citation to accompany the award of the Air Medal to James E. Farmer, Aviation Survival Technician, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Pedestrian Farmer is cited for meritorious achievement on aerial flight from 30 August to 2 September 2005 while serving as a rescue swimmer aboard the H-65 and H-60 helicopters during Hurricane Katrina rescue operations. Demonstrating exemplary skill and superlative physical stamina, Pedestrian Farmer participated in repeated rescue missions for over 21 flight hours in the devastated environment. Arriving in New Orleans on the night of 30 August 2005, Pedestrian Farmer was hoisted to a roof on an apartment with 16 desperate survivors. Pedestrian Farmer used great agility to hoist survivors until only two elderly women remained who were trapped inside and unable to reach the roof. Using a small flashlight, Pedestrian Farmer searched and located the women. Displaying great strength, he carried each of the survivors 20 yards through the debris-littered house to reach the balcony in the traditional fireman's carry. Without a sufficient hoisting platform, Pastor Farmer kicked down a railing retained by four-inch bolts and balanced himself on the edge of the unsafe structure. He balanced himself above the toxic waters while simultaneously tending to the trail line during each basket recovery evolution. Returning on 02 September, Petty Officer Farmer deployed to a home containing a trapped double amputee diabetic. Combating skin irritation caused by the toxic water, Petty Officer Farmer displayed exceptional stamina by carrying the survivor over 50 yards through waist-deep water to the only acceptable hoisting area. On the final sortie, following six demanding flight hours, Pedestrian Farmer spotted a lone hand waving desperately from the attic vent. Already exhausted, he deployed to the roof and located the survivor, suffering from five days of exposure. Mustering his remaining strength, he used an axe to chop a hole through the tile roof and extracted the severely dehydrated survivor. Pedestrian Farmer's actions, skills were instrumental in the rescue of 54 lives. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Jimmy. Yeah. Dude. That, was a lot. that <laughs> all right. So it, I understand like the hurricane stuff. I've never, I never got deployed in any of the hurricanes. Uh, but I mean, I, I've talked to enough of you guys. I get it. You're going out yeah. one after the other after the other. But man, you, give me a rundown. Like, so, yeah, um, me and uh, a couple of guys, good friends of mine, Jason Shepard and uh, Blaine Elkins, we were we were the night guys. We we never saw daylight uh, for, I think, the three or first three or four days of, of what we of the operation. And so, um, yeah, that first night we went out there um, and there's just it's just pitch black and. You see nothing but flashlights. It was, it was insane. It was, you know, we're going, oh my gosh, there's a light. There's a light. Flight Mexico. There's lights over there. There's a, and the pilot finally just said, hey, look, guys, there's lights everywhere. Let's just pick a spot and let's just do business. <laughs> and so we were like, yeah, okay. Sounds good, you know. Come on, pilot. Uh, radio take charge. <laughs> yes. I mean, the radio traffic was insane. I mean, it was just chatter constantly. Um, and so we just decided you know, where do we begin? And we were like, let's just pick a rooftop with the most people on it and uh, get to work. <clears throat> so that's what we did. Uh, we, you know, saw one, it, it, you know, we figured it was probably 20 people and, uh, you know, came down to a hover and, you know, we counted a lot of heads and said, okay, let's, let's go to work. And uh, so this was the rooftop, I believe was uh, mentioned in the award. So I get hoisted down there and um, talk to one of the gentlemen. There's, it, there was women and children on there too. Uh, this one lady was laying down. She was covered up in a blanket. I thought she was injured. And uh, so I was talking to the, to the guy. I was like, you know, who needs to go? And he's like, start with them. Pointed to the lady that was in a blanket. And I walked over and uh, she wasn't injured. She had two of her children keeping them warm, I guess. You know, it's, it's hot out, but they've been on the rooftop and they're wet and, 
and it's at night. So yeah, I pulled back the blanket expecting, you know, her to be injured or something. And, and she had two kids under there and I was like, okay, yeah, you're going to be the first to go. We'll wow. get you out of here. Yeah. So, you know, we did a few hoists. They were taking them to uh, Cloverleaf, which was the uh, interstate uh, section. They weren't going to uh, the airport just yet, but uh, that was the quickest spot that they could get them to where there was medical, there was ALS there. And so uh, we get all but two guys off and he's telling me, hey, my mom is uh, still inside. And so this is an apartment complex. It's like a fourplex from what I, I can remember. And you're on the and roof. I said, well, we're on the roof. And so <laughs> I'm like, well, how do we get down there? So there's an access down there. Um, we're on the second floor, Okay. by the way. So I said, well, show me. And so we go down this little uh, hatch where they had come up from and got down uh, to the second floor. And there's a couple holes in the wall because the water has come up, not all the way, but you can see it when we came down and, and looked down the stairwell, you could see the water. And I'm like, well, I guess we can't go down that way. So uh, we go through this hole in the wall, get to his apartment or his you know, apartment and um, get into the bedroom and his mom's on the bed. She was bedridden. Um, uh, I'm not sure what all um, was was wrong with her, but he said, you know, she can't walk. You know, she can't walk. We're not going to be able to to take her up. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, wow. OK, so. I look and there's just a sliding glass. Thank goodness. There's a sliding glass door in her bedroom that goes out to this little balcony. And so I walk out to the balcony and call up to the helo. I said, Hey man, here's the deal. Um, We're going to have to, to hoist her from here. I said, uh, you know, you're going to have to send the litter down and I'll just pull it inside and uh, put her on this thing. and, And we'll, I'll push her back out to the balcony and uh, you hoist her up you know, and they're like, well, how are we going to do that, man? You barely got room to stand. I said, well, I said, I'll just kick this railing out. No problem. Right. <laughs> well, it was a problem. You know, I think I weighed it then. I think I weighed like a buck 60, you know. And so I go to start kicking on this thing, man. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I, I might be here a while. And I was you know, standing up, like trying to kick it down like a door. Yeah. And I said, well, there's got to be a better way because I don't want to fall, you know, if the thing gives. So I, I sat on my butt and just went to one stanchion, started kicking it and it gave and then went to the other side and kicked that thing in and made a little platform and gave the thumbs up, send the litter, litter down, <laughs> unhooked it, took it inside. We lifted her up, you know, with the blanket and, and sat her in the litter and walked her out and thumbs up, take her away. And uh, now I, I'm that. visualizing like a bal- like a short balcony. So it was almost an off center hoist where they can't pick directly right. plumb. So they're off center yeah. a little bit. And so when the litter comes up, it's going to swing out. So you're guiding it with that trail line to get it. Plumb right. underneath the the aircraft. Yeah. And they were offset anyway, because from, uh, from where we were at, you know, there was phone lines, power lines, trees. I mean, this is, like right off the street apartment, you know, so they were offset anyway, because when we were doing our hoist, we were in between uh, trees and power lines and the, uh, and the little apartment. So we we had a little spot, a little sweet spot, if you will. Yeah. uh, Where we were coming in and out. So yeah. Pucker factor 100. (laughs) Holy smoke. Let me just kick the railing down. Come on, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my little toothpick legs, man, going to work. So, Dang. yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was uh, the first night uh, I went out. Um, yeah. It talks about the, the next one where you um, you went down to the double amputee diabetic, too. Like trapped, yeah. trapped in a home. So... Yeah, we got that call. I think we were just at that point, we were flying around um, patrolling 
if you will, um, just waiting to get tasked. And uh, we got a call, um, double amputee, needed assistance, possible diabetic, something like that. I mean, there was, you didn't get a lot of information yeah. uh, during this. And uh, so we got an address. I think uh, most people will tell you, you know, looking at streets, street signs, if you could, and, um, you know, trying to find this house. And, uh, <laughs> From the air. What, what's that street down there? That looks like East Street. Oh, that looks like Second Street. <laughs> so exactly. So we're like, uh, hey, man, that's got to be it. So uh, they horsed me down. It's, you know, probably chest deep, waist deep, chest deep water. Um, walk over to the house and uh, knock on the door and gentleman answers the door. He's fine. I believe it was his mother um, that was, that needed help. Basically they were running out of meds, things like that for her. And uh, he wanted, he wanted her out. He was going to stay, but he wanted her to go. And so uh, she had, she was taking IV. I don't know if it was medication or, or what, I, I can't remember, but um, I knew that I didn't want to take her through that water. I, there was no way I was going to put her in a basket or anything to, to get her out. So I, where I had walked through, there was a flat piece of grass uh, out in the lawn that was dry. I was probably a couple of doors down, but I was like, you know what, I could probably carry her there get her there and then uh, we can hoist her up. So uh, I was like, Hey, you know, this is what I want to do. And uh, I'll meet you guys, you know, two doors down. So picked her up, <laughs> uh, carried her, uh, you know, at, at shoulder height. I, when I picked her up, I didn't want any part of her hitting that water. Yeah. Uh, so walked her out, man. It was, man, I'm glad, I, I'm glad they make us work out. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Is that what my right? shoulders were on fire? Yeah. So got her out, uh, flew her. Um, I think we did a direct at that point. We were going to uh, Louis Armstrong Airport, met ALS there, and uh, got her, her, her the help she needed. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now, the last one which I'm, I'm really excited about because there's a couple of things that I've talked to a lot of guys down in Katrina where they had to cut in through roofs to get two guys or two survivors and stuff. And um, I had talked to guys that well, we were bringing chainsaws down to start with, and then that just got too heavy and bulky. So everybody went to just an ax. Right. So here you are flying on your, one of your last sorties and, how the heck do you see a, a hand waving out of a vent? Yeah. I mean, what <laughs> Just, is the odds of that? I mean, holy smoke. Right. So, yeah, we're pretty much done for the day um, at that point. I didn't get the memo on the chainsaw. Uh, I wish I did have a chainsaw. <laughs> but uh, like I said, I was on nights, you know, all, you know, they're having, I mean, they're all this information is getting passed um, on days. And, uh, you know, by the time I'm coming in, you know, in the late afternoon, man, like these guys are, 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 you know, just down, you know, taking it easy and I'm coming in and I'm flying, you know, I'm, so, uh, I just happened to have, uh, a hatchet. I wish it was an ax, a little more leverage, a little more swing. So you have uh, a small little hand. short foot and yeah. a half yeah. hatchet. Right my yeah, right my green helmet bag. I just for whatever reason had it in there, and uh, <laughs> so we're flying, and I'm just kind of skylarking out the window, you know, looking at the houses and the water and just the just the mess, and we're flying. I don't know, maybe thirty feet, something like that, you know, just if, if just to make sure everything's kosher. If we see something, we'll we'll take a look at it and. I'm flying over this house, man. And I see this, I'm like, that's a hand. That's a hand. And so I get on ICS and I said, Hey, I think I just saw something, uh, somebody waving, you know, and they're like, you know, Mark, they immediately marked the position. We come back around. And so they're looking for somebody. And I said, no, I, I think it was a hand coming out of a, out of the roof, out of a, a vent. And they're like, are you sure? You know, and I, <laughs> I'm second guessing. I'm like, am I just nuts? You know? <laughs> 
Uh, I've been out here too long. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, sure enough, man, we circle around and and get back on our our path. And yeah, there it was, hands sticking out of that vent. And they're like, okay, it's like, uh, how are we going to get to this guy? Because it was, you could tell it was probably up to the attic, one story house. But the water line was up past the window. So I'm like, well, we could probably, I could probably rip that, that vent off and we could bake a hole and I could get him out of there. No problem. Right. So yeah, they hoist me down. I got my hatchet and I'm like, I'm going to cut through this thing like butter, (laughs) man. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, that was work. It probably took me, I'd say 15 minutes. There was a couple of times I had to stop. I was just exhausted trying to cut through this room. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Finally made a hole big enough where I could see down in, talk to the guy. I was like, Hey, is it just you? He had made a, a home in his attic. I mean, there was clothes and jugs of water and he'd been living up there, you know, for days. And um, I did notice when I looked in there, you know, I was like, do you have family here? And they're like, he's like, no, they've all gone. I stayed back. Cause I saw kids toys and so they'd yeah. been living up there. I don't know how long his family had been there or when they got picked up, but he stayed back. And uh, so just made sure I got down in there and just kind of made sure, you know, nobody else was in there and uh, yeah, hoisted them up. And of course I have to say this, I, a lesson learned. Don't ever let a severely dehydrated individual chug two bottles of water because it'll go right through them. Um, it was about a 20 minute flight back. Yeah. When that water hit him and it was, it went in one end and came out the other. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> in the aircraft. So yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I felt oh. bad for him. I'm like, this guy survived five days and you know, I just, let him consume all this water. Of course, I didn't know it that, you know, I didn't know it. Yeah. I'm like, here, man, take as much water as you can. But uh, yeah. Anyway. Lesson learned for everybody out there. Somebody can put that in their book. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sips, let him sip water. Don't yeah. let him chug it. Jeez. Anyway, so yeah, I got done with that. Uh, it's probably 90. We dropped him off at uh, New Orleans. They had finally, uh, you know, that was kind of a hub. Um, uh, air station New Orleans. So, uh, we dropped them off there and they took him off and I, next 30 minutes, I cleaned up the Hilo and <laughs> my butt off in a hundred degree heat on the tarmac. So, yeah. but you know what, man, he got back to his family. So it's all good. You know, that's awesome, man. Wow. All to see a hand through a vent. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, Jason. Good times. Well done, sir. Well done. Um, you actually had a couple other like memorable cases out of New Orleans, uh, and I, we're gonna we're gonna end with another uh, like a, a helicopter and Larry. Yeah. But prior to that, what other ones do you remember out of New Orleans that really stand out to you? Um, gosh. Well, that one particular, um, that was a good case. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But I had one, um, there it was a jackup rig. And for those that might not know, um, a jackup rig is basically just a platform uh, that they, it's a boat. And it's got these long pilings that they drive down to a spot and they work, you know, they just jack them up and out in the ocean and, and these guys work off of them. And uh, so we get a call, Jack up rig collapsed. Um, good buddy of mine, I believe Brett Fogel. I think he was the other guy. Brett Fogel. Uh, Love Brett. Yeah. Stellar guy, man. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah. I uh, got to serve with him at the A school on my way out. So he was an instructor there. So yeah, that was really cool. Excellent. So, uh, I'm a second class. He's a young buck. Um, and I was first on scene and they, uh, there's all these good Sam's there's all these good Samaritans picking these people up out of the water. I think it was something like, uh, 
18 individuals or something like that had gone in. And uh, there was this, uh, I guess, a crew boat or whatever that uh, had picked almost all of them up, you know, and they were all on the back of this thing. So they hoist me down. And I'm just, it's kind of like triage at this point. Uh, Cause it's just nutty. It's probably a 30 or 40 foot long boat and it's got this huge fantail. So I go down there and I'm just kind of like, Hey, who needs to go now? Who needs to go now? Um, and they point over to this guy and uh, it's just the people separate like a, like a sea of people. They just kind of get out of the way as I'm walking in this, uh, this guy's just laying face down on this raft. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know, I'm thinking, is he dead? They're like, no, no, he's, he's fine. He's just, you know, it was the position of comfort uh, for him. And so I'm like, well, we got to, you know, let's get him over so I can assess him and see what's going on. Is he breathing? Whatever. So roll this guy over, man, God bless him. Hit when I rolled him over, he had this gauze on his face, rolled him over, lifted up the gauze to see what was going on, you know, cause airway, I want to make sure this guy's all right, man. And his, uh, chin had split uh he had hit the railing had split and so it just filleted and i was like oh okay so that's why that's there and i just quickly looked at him uh looked at his chest he was breathing and i'm like yeah we got to get this guy out of here um so called up and said hey send the litter down uh we're going to get this guy out of here as soon as we can and so it was about a 10 minute flight to where we were taking these individuals if anybody was hurt again it was just an ambulance on a on a parking lot and so i get this guy up in the helo and uh obviously he can't talk so my i tell him hey if if you know blink your eyes once for yes blink your eyes twice for no don't try to speak i'm going to you know i'm going to take a look and and see where where you're hurt and so, you know, I'm just kind of doing my assessment, going down his limbs, you know, cutting, cutting his, his uh, work pants and shirt. And um, it, it looked like he, he definitely had a fractured femur. Couldn't tell if the other one was. So when I cut his pants, I mean, I was just like, oh, geez, you know, and now He's I'm in thinking bad shape. five. Yeah, he was bad. And never, the guy never moaned yelled in pain he just was looking at me like hey man do what you got to do you know because the whole time i'm just kind of looking at his face you know when i'm checking his extremities to to see him wince or anything and he just kind of was like do what you got to do man you know and uh holy cow yeah um i'm thinking you know should should i try to try to pull track on this guy i got five minutes left in flight and i'm like or let let als handle it let them get the drugs in them so he you know do what they they do best right so i'm right. like yeah that's probably the best thing to do and so i just got some some oxygen on him off to the side on his nose so he can just kind of relax and calm down and uh yeah that was nuts i'm not sure what brett did um by the time we got back, we offloaded him and got back. It was, you know, every, you know, small boat in the area was, was transporting everybody else. But, uh, yeah. And nothing, I think, uh, you know, we talked earlier, uh, man, we were doing stuff, you know, if you would have done that, I think anywhere else, you know, you're talking, you know, maybe a air metal or something like that. But I mean, you got back to New Orleans, it was just, it's like another day. I mean, we were, we were constantly doing that stuff. Um, me, Brett Fogel, Jay Lyon, uh, Ian Powell, Matt Thiessen, uh Max Mita. Gosh, yeah. We Good were, group of guys. We were turning. Yeah. <laughs> were you down there with, uh, with Labo as well? Brian Lobenstein? No, uh, I just missed him, you know, um, he, I know he was in, uh, I think it was at uh, Mobile as well. But uh, it seemed like we just missed each other. Uh, right on those those two stations. But, he uh, talks about it as well. Just New Orleans being yeah. straight out. So busiest air station at the time, man. Like, <laughs> it was nuts. You know, I would walk in. It's funny. Um, we had a a chief there. Um, 
Lou Britt, who was an instructor at a school that I knew, and he was the chief there. And uh, I'd come in, he's like, I know you're bagged, go home. You know, that's, if you had duty, you were, that, that, you were getting bagged. Like there was no questions. You just kind of went home. So bags for anybody that doesn't know is basically uh, we fly for six hours flight time. Right. And then the coast guard says, okay, you have met your, your max flight time for the day. You're done for the next at least 10 hours. Um, but so we call it, yeah, you're in the bag. Now, there's variables that you can do around it. So let's say you fly for five hours or five and a half, you refuel, you go back out until seven hours or whatever. But when you land, you're now in the bag and you're not allowed to fly again without command approval. And it's a, a whole bunch of hoops right. you got to jump to. So yeah. to bag out back to home. Place. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why actually New Orleans has, so you have your ready swimmer and then you have somebody mm -hmm. that's on backup. They're at home, but they're on backup, you know? Right. So you're like right. half on duty. So Right. Yeah. And what a, what a great station, man. I had, I had a blast, uh, four years in New Orleans. We had such a great crew, you know, Yeah. the guys I mentioned, um, John Green was first class, Lance Kerr, uh, just stellar Tom Hickey, a lot wow. of Hickey stories. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, God bless Tom, man. Gosh. Anyway. Oh, I love those it. that know Tom. Yeah. Those, those that know Tom always have, uh, you can always share at yeah. least one. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, so, <laughs> so I briefly met Tom, um, in a school and he was gung ho, man. Like just, you're like, okay, yeah, dude, settle down, go find your corner, calm down. <laughs> and, uh, so I next ran into him. I was a, a non or a, had just gotten to ATC Mobile. Of course, we didn't stand duty, uh, swimmer duty. We stood duty in fueled Falcons. That was the ready plane. And New Orleans would come over and, and they would do fuel hops. If they were out doing a search in Mobile Bay, seriously, you know, we'd have to fuel their bird. And uh, Tom Hickey was one of them. And uh, so I go out there. He didn't recognize me. And, uh, but I, I, I recognize him right off the bat and, um, he gets off the plane and, uh, you know, chest out and yeah. So, uh, I'm going to need you guys. Yeah. We're going to need uh, about 1400 pounds of fuel. And, uh, if you guys could, yeah, just uh, go ahead and take care of that. You know, just giving us the, I'm the rescue swimmer. And, you know, I guess he thought uh, we rates cause we're just wearing like t-shirts, you know, that's hilarious. Our uniform t-shirts. And, uh, I was like, and it took him, it was funny because I'm like, you know what, Tom, why don't you fuel your own bird like that? And he just kind of looked at me like, who, how do you, you know, I'm like Jimmy Farmer, dude, a school. Oh, Hey. And then it completely changed. dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Give me that, give me yeah. that fuel hose. I got you. Don't put that switch man. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Anyway. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So one of the other things you did uh, when you were in the Coast Guard outside of New Orleans was Pop Dam, Polar Operations Division. So you're on the back of cutters or the icebreakers traveling. Did you, did you like save any penguins? Yeah. So uh, Pop Div, <laughs> man, I'll tell you. It Come was, on. That was that was a little bit of a joke awesome. there. You know that, right? Hey, well, <laughs> we, we, had a, we had a partner <clears throat> we called Rescue and it was a penguin. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Pop Div um, was awesome. I, one of the best tours I had <clears throat> doing a South trip to Antarctica, stopping in Australia. Just, I mean, what an amazing uh, job. So anyway, uh, we did a South trip 2005 um, to Antarctica uh, and the, I'll get to the penguins. So what we do when we first arrive is we set up fuel caches all over Franklin Island and, and places like this. So, cause we're going to be flying uh, scientists around that corral baby penguins and tag them and things like that. So uh, me and um, I can't think of the guy's name right off the top of my head, but they hoist us down and we wait for them to bring barrels of fuel 
<clears throat> excuse me. And so, you know, we got about an hour in between. And so, we're, you know, we're kind of scoping the land. And I mean, it's, it's Antarctica. And we see this little figure off in the distance, like coming over this, just we call them like moon dust and moon rocks because it's just real dusty. Okay. If it's not ice, it's just crushed dirt. And uh, well, volcano uh, ash is what it is because McMurdo in those areas. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But so we see this okay. little figure coming <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world is that? And uh, the guy that's with me, I wish I could remember his name, but he goes, man, I think it's a penguin. It's like, you think? He's like, oh, yeah. So we walk down a bit. And sure enough, it's just one penguin walking. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Take a couple of pictures, da da da. Walk back to the thing. And we probably walked about I mean, maybe a hundred yards back to our little camp where we're gonna set up the fuel cache. And uh, <laughs> probably thirty minutes later, man, this penguin just shows up, kind of hangs out with us. For just him, like or her, I don't know, him or her, but hangs out. We dubbed him uh, rescue, and he hung out with us for a little bit and. Went on his way, man. <laughs> so, what's up, penguin? But, Come on, rescue! Yeah. I like that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I had we did a quite a bit of stuff on our journey down there, Jason. But one, um, we had a ice liberty. I wanted to mention this. You might find this pretty interesting. So we had ice liberty. Basically, polar star pulls up on a, a plate of ice moors itself and everybody gets off and you know plays football explores play with the penguins so forth wow cool so yeah so we're down there playing football and uh not not all the aviators left uh, a couple of the pilots stayed on board um no no for no particular reason just you know stayed up there and did their thing on the so they're on the ship you guys are out messing around yeah it's just that you know they got the brow over to the ice yeah all's cool half half the people are down there on the ice well next thing you know man you hear people yelling from the bridge of the polar star well the the ice is breaking that we're on the ship is is breaking the ice the weight causing it to crack on the, the ice that we're on. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this, this is not good. Yeah. So they start, you know, uh, you know, everybody, they're trying to direct us away from the crack. They back off and they're trying to reposition themselves. Well, the whole ship, they're, they're like. The whole that... ship now. Yeah. Oh they're my like, gosh. Because the brow. <clears throat> has moved away. There's no way for us to get back on at this point. Um, so they're trying to reposition back onto the ice. Well, it, it keeps cracking. And so they move around. They finally kind of get back up um, on the ice, drop a, a ladder down. And of course the ladder is up to the forecastle. Uh, so a couple of individuals climb up and everybody else is like, no, screw that. We're not climbing this thing. And so th- the whole time they're, they're moving forward, I believe, trying to stay up on the ice. Eventually it just, it was, we were, you could see the crack on the whole ice shelf and they're like, how are we going to, how are we going to continue to do this? And so we're now we're stuck on an ice uh, iceberg basically right this flat this platform and you hear uh ready helo on the line <laughs> and so <clears throat> i'm like oh my gosh <clears throat> so <clears throat> me and sean collins uh one of my good friends he was the flight mech on on deployment with me uh we're basically just corralling everybody like picking a good spot you know for for uh for the helo to come in and get us off, man. So, and there was, there's video somewhere. Somebody videoed it from the ship. Uh, 
which is pretty cool. But yeah, you just see the 65 just hopping off the back of the, <laughs> the polar star coming and getting us and me and Sean were, you know, the last two to, to get off. But I was just like, Oh my gosh, man, <laughs> well, this is nuts. Uh, so, yeah. Good times. You know what, for the record, you can say you were not officially saved. You were merely uh, getting everybody else saved. Yeah. It's so, part of the coordination of the rescue. Absolutely. That's right. Right. <laughs> you just so have to be on scene when it happened. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just wow. That way. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Dude, good time. Yeah, Coast Guard's fun times, man. That that's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. Nice. Yeah, Steve Ferrand, uh, Greg Mattis, two pilots, Miss Hart. Uh, oh, I know Greg, Mr. Mattis. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, what a great, great, uh, great crew we had for that deployment, that South trip. That was unbelievable. Now, how long are you guys usually gone for that? Is that six months or six months? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah, you go out, go out to uh, basically you ship everything out to the West Coast to Seattle and um, you fly out there, make way to Hawaii, refuel. Um, refuel for a couple of days. <clears throat> Seven days. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Fell in love with Hawaii. Um, good buddy of mine that was out there, Jason Schleen. Uh, Love Jason. Let me Good borrow. Dude. Let me borrow a surfboard in his uh, his vehicle. So that was awesome. Um, yes, great guy, great family. Nice. And uh, yeah, from there you do um, you do Australia, another fuel and so, you know get supplies. Another Sweet. seven or eight days there. Yeah, Hobart. That was amazing. Hobart, Australia. Oh, yeah. what a good so, time! That's so cool. Yeah. Dang. Then uh, by the time you make your way south and start breaking ice, man, we fly off. We we fly all of our supplies to McMurdo and they break the ice coming in so the other supply ships can come in. So we got two weeks of McMurdo uh, just, you know, chilling and relaxing. While the so icebreaker is making their way, making the channels. Working, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're sitting, they call them fish huts, but we're sitting in these huts, uh, you know, drinking beers and Living yeah. the dream, man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. It pays to be an aviator. <laughs> That's right. You got that right. So all my boat friends, I'm sorry. And I still love you too, but I love what we do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing those. That's killer. Absolutely. Dang. Um, well, let me let me touch on this again. So we, we talked about it for a minute. And we are not going to talk about this case. One of the few times that like I have a, an episode like this and we don't actually talk about the case. So here's a little teaser. Yeah. So Jimmy, you got launched out to a helicopter crash uh, off New Orleans. And yeah, I, his name is Larry. I, I'm not even going to tell you his last name that everybody has to just wait. So the greatest part about this is the next episode that we're about to have uh, that's going to be really, or the next episode after following this one is going to have Jimmy and Larry. The first time we get to yes. hear from the rescue swimmer and the survivor. So stand by. It's, awesome. it's, it's incredible. Um, I am beyond stoked about having you guys on. So uh, we're yeah, going to get I'm ready for that one to it. Me too. Me too. Gosh. So, yeah. But uh, with that, I will go on to like a little extra and say, you know, the floor is open to you, my friend. And, you know, if you have anything to pass to the younger generation or guys that are out in the field doing this now, you know, and, and it can be anything. And I know it's a broad statement, but it, it's cool because there's some cool stuff that gets said. So the floor yeah, is yours. Um, gosh, thanks. Uh, you know, one thing I do, um, of course, I've been blessed that uh, I, I get to go right now. Get to go to uh, ATC Mobile and, and work as a as a civilian as a contractor, um, ALC contractor. So I would say, you know, in our in the swimmer world, mentoring is such a huge thing. Um, I I was mentored by Mike Mill, Clay Hill. 
you know, Master Chief retired Clay Hill, uh, Matt Fithian, um, Master Chief Hart, he was second class, John Ungafu, you know, I grew up with these guys in the raid, man, and, and they just told me, hit the books, learn your job, uh, you'll, you'll get the swimmer stuff, it'll come, but uh, to learn your job, you know, because this is 90% of what we do, and I would just say that, man, if they're, you know, if for the veteran swimmer guys out there, man, you know, take those young guys under your wing, man, and, and, and show them, show them what we do, man, show them the meat and potatoes and everything else will make sense. You know, they're going to learn when they get yeah. the Gila. I mean, that's just, you know, sink or swim. Um, you Literally. Know, they'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just show them, man. These guys are eager to learn man. they want knowledge they're sponges, you know, and, uh, there's some guys that when I retired and got back here, uh, that were going through a school, uh, Phoenix, Hannah, Jake Pritchett and Ling and, uh, some other guys. So when I showed up, they were just like, what are, are you, is that chief farmer, you know? And, uh, and they just kind of latched onto me, man. They just knew that, you know, uh, the knowledge was there, man. And they just like, Hey, what do you think about this? I want to do this. You know, what do you think about this? And I'm just dumping. And it was good for me too. Nice. I loved it. It just, you know, I love dumping knowledge. It's like uh, service wide, right? Like you just want to offload everything. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's what I would say to, to the guys out there, man. Like just, you know, it's a brotherhood and teach them everything, you know, man, you know, Love it. Oh man. Yeah. Such great advice. Rock I, I, it, this is one of the greatest things about this podcast too, is because there's so much of you guys that are given so much knowledge uh, in what you do around the world from, from everybody. It's been, it's been an eye opener for me too. So I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So Jimmy, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing these stories. Incredible. And I'm, I'm so pumped. I'm going to have you back. We're doing the next episode with you yeah. and Larry. It's going to be phenomenal. So get ready, everybody. It's, it's coming. So thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me, brother. Dude, anytime, my friend, anytime. And with that, ladies right. and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.